0: believers do i got a show for you today i've been waiting for this for so long uh whew, when i was first going want to do this interview this session whatever you want to call it um i got hit with covid i got put in the hospital and i was in the hospital on the day i was supposed to record with this wonderful person and due to his popularity <laughs> There's a little bit of a wait list to get back, and I wanted to wait until I had, you know, the the time I could afford to just devote to whatever he wants to talk about, and that's today. Um, I've been waiting for a long time. Today, I'm bringing on Mr. Gary Wayne. You may have heard him on, I don't know, a million other podcasts, but he's on mine today, and I'm blessed to have him. It, it's a wonderful thing. I can't wait to get into this with him. Um, for those of you who don't know who Gary Wayne is, he is the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Yes, this book is beat up. Um, every fingerprint shows because it's got like a waterproof coating on the front of it. But I, I beat this book to death. And I haven't even made it through like, I don't know, a tenth. Uh, anyway, Gary Wayne's coming on. He hopefully will be able to explain to us in layman's terms, because if you see this book, it's about 700 pages, um, what the Genesis 6 conspiracy is, what the agenda is, who is involved, what we can do to ready ourselves. And I have gotten tons of notes already written down here waiting on him. and tons more, uh, tons more questions in my head, tons more you know, notes I've left throughout the book. So I'm going to bring uh, Mr. Wayne on, see what we can get into, uh, see what answers we can get. Uh, we're talking giants. We're talking Nephilim. We're talking um, yeah, conspiracy theories, secret societies, um, cults. We're talking um, angels, the watchers. We're talking, let's see where else. Possibly. I'm going to see if he has any information on the LEU. Remember when we talked uh, about the LEU a few episodes back? I'm going to see what he has on it because I have not heard it anywhere else. So it'll be interesting. Um, Let's go ahead and get into it. We got... We got a lot of ground to cover, and I don't know how long we got Gary, so I'll shut up and I'll bring him on. All right, hey, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, bearing with me while I got through COVID and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I know we had to put things off for a couple of months, but. It's, it's well worth it to me. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me to the show and uh, so happy that you've recovered well from, from having COVID. I know it can come in a variety of different levels and things and it looks like it, uh, you know, it had uh, set you back a, a step or two for sure, <laughs> but uh, so glad you're able to, to overcome that. And, and uh, yeah, very much looking forward to the conversation today and talking with you and uh, to your audience in terms of some things that I think they're probably very curious on and would like, you know, additional information. And that's kind of what I try and do. I like to connect knots and I try to give deeper uh, information so that people can sort of better understand whatever they're trying to figure out in sort of the this kind of genre that's kind of um outside whether or not it's christian uh, or other religions it's kind of out of the norm of the mainstream and particularly from secular society it's way out of the mainstream so <laughs> but that's what we're here to do to hopefully help clarify things as they figure things out in the world
0: fantastic thank you so much um well first question if we can just jump straight into it your your book the genesis six conspiracy uh what led you down this path what got you started in in this epic of, of a book yeah that's a very good question
1: and i wasn't intending to write this size of a book and if people aren't familiar with it it's 800 pages And I took 350 pages out just to size it down enough to be able to get it published because I was a unknown author, no platform. So I was high risk and high cost. That's a bad bad intersection when you're trying to get published. So, and no platform. So I had done a lot of uh, work well before I started the book. And I started writing the book in say about, you know, 1997 or so, 1998 and but in about 1980 or 81, it's sort of that's when I started on the path and what I did was I took up a challenge to read a book because, you know, being quite young at that time, Mm -hmm. um, it was a challenge of courage. If you have enough courage, read this book and see what you think. And uh, I said, well, give me an indication well it's about antichrist and it's about the false prophet and it's written by a book uh, it's a book called the late great planet earth by a terrific author and researcher in christian prophecy um named hal lindsey and so i read the book and it scared the socks off of me <laughs> but and i you know i had been raised uh christian but i had left the faith and i had been brainwashed through high school and Peer pressure and all the things that we all face in the world, and I had kind of left that kind of behind. And I was into the evolutionary theory and things like that, or particularly maybe aliens and mm-hmm. all of that. And still love, love, love a lot of that, that genre and stuff. But now see whether or not hell is being accurate and wasn't manipulating scripture. And so I, the only way I could do that was just start digging into the Bible. So you start looking up the verses and the chapters and you kind of realize that, you know, the, the passages are quoted accurately, but I don't really have the proper context because I'm just trying to dive into a specific verse. So I thought, well, what I have to do is I have to read the Bible and I'll be looking as I read the Bible. I'm going to be looking for all the different prophecy narratives because it's, it's, it's a very, very large subject. So and I realized that I, once I got into reading it, I had to go start again and say, "Wait a minute! There's way more prophecy lines than I thought." So I started to write them all down, all the verses, put them in into the files and things like that, just so I could better understand end time prophecy because it's a it's a scary subject. Yes, it is. And is, is this the time? Do that, you run across six. And verses 1 through 4, which is the preamble to the flood story that's directly connected, and it's part of the flood story. And I just kind of go, you know what, I'm not ready for that. (laughs) I don't know what the heck this giant thing is, but I want nothing to do with that. But as you keep reading, as you get into the, you know, further on in the Old Testament, uh, you know, beginning in Genesis 14 and 15, so not that far in, you're into these other peoples that are coming up and they're not showing up in the table of nations that's recorded in genesis 10 and genesis um or first chronicles and some of the nations that are listed in genesis 10 like the nine of the 12 patriarchs of the canaanites they don't have a patriarch like everybody else does but they don't and they just sort of going well maybe i need to just write these things down, and I'll I'll sort of throw it into my super fringe file, (laughs) and maybe I'll, you know, I'll look at that sort of sometime down the road. So, you know, after documenting and assembling all of the different prophetic narratives and things like that, and I had done some work to assemble some of the Nephilim, which is the Hebrew word for giant, as it shows up in the King James Version Bible three times once in Genesis 6, 4 and twice in Numbers thirteen thirty three giant also shows up, that's a different word after the flood, which is more of the Raphaim and the word Rapha, but I'd done some work, and so I'd accumulated all of that, but I hadn't really done anything with it, but I understood by this point that there's a relationship here that needed to be sort of understood with the angelic rebellion and prophecy, because you have demons and angels and things that sort of show up, um, particularly in the New Testament and end time prophecy. And so I had all of these and I have a 12 or 15 books I'd like to write. I don't know whether I'll actually get them all done or not, but, uh, but I thought, well, I have to figure out whether or not I can get published. And if I could get published and uh, that uh, would anybody read that story <laughs> and would anybody buy it? And would it be, you know, sort of you know, poo pooed and, you know, just throw, you know, like you're, you're kind of crazy type of thing. Cause even when you talk about end time prophecy, you're going to get into that sort of category. We're just sort of talking degrees of how you're going to be viewed by right. the mainstream. So I decided I would, because prophecy is so complicated. I mean, it's throughout the whole Bible, like the whole third of the Bible is prophetic and there's a significant amount of prehistory that's connected to prophecy. And so I thought I'd write a short book that was the plan, see whether I can get published. And so I thought I'd write a short story about how possibly these giants that show up in Genesis six, one through four are connected to end time prophecy. Because again, we get, as we said, we get the fallen angels, we get these mighty princes and kings, and you get demons and you get the false prophet and you get antichrist and all of these crazy things that are going on. So can I connect that? And I thought it could based on my research. So I was going to write this book and uh, just did it very quickly with the first 10 chapters from a biblical sort of perspective in terms of kind of piecing some of it together. And then I thought, well, I'm also a history buff and I'm also a mythology buff. And so, and prophecy had become my passion, Mm -hmm. but those used to be my passion and so i still had a lot of interest and in, i understood in the world they have parallel stories before the flood and then and then again after the flood uh, so prehistory has a similar story but told from a polytheist lens as opposed to a monotheist lens and just as you've got end time prophecy that shows up in those religions and cultures all around the world again with it uh with a polytheist biases as opposed to my christian biases so uh, understanding how they look at things help you understand and, and also find the connection so i understood these connections and so i decided i'd add in things about like greek mythology and sumerian mythology and and I, and I did that and then i realized well i can't really give the proper context unless i explain the religion because their history and their mythology Is all interconnected with their particular polytheist religion and you can't sort of separate that so i thought okay well now i got to read more about these religions i have to learn all about that and so i had to read you know rig vedas i had to read the popol vu i had to read sort of on and on and on all the different books i had to read to to give a proper sort of context and so once i did that i realized that this was a knowledge cult And then that led to all mystery schools are attached to the organizational structure and the prehistory, and I had to dig into that. When you dig into that, because they're developing this knowledge that they received from the gods and elsewhere, Um, and so that led me into secret societies. So once I went down the secret society rabbit hole, I was down there to then it became this really really big book and you know on my way through i was thinking i have to just stop this um nobody's ever going to believe this um this is just nonsense and i would set it aside because it's like you know i i find it interesting but it's crazy nobody's nobody's gonna buy it and so Uh, But I would hear this sort of calling to come back. And, you know, so just when I thought, you know, I couldn't continue and I wasn't really seeing what I was trying to do with it right the clarity would come back and well and I would also find at that time new sources and things that I would have to be adding in so I thought it was done a lot of times and then information and things would come to me in in inexplicable ways that I would have to add in and I didn't want to do that um, because I wanted to be done because this is the first of many books I want to write not the only book I wanted to write and so but I dig into the little bit of information because even though I'm stubborn I, I do tend to maybe come around a little bit and then I start Saying, "Okay, yeah, this is important. This fills in so many gaps, and so I would keep adding that." So it was a long sort of process to 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 write the book, and not the book that I intended. So, and in case there's not enough information in in this book, uh, I have a sequel coming out that I said I would never write, um, that I'll put out later this year. Because what I learned from the audience, and particularly from the Christian community, which I do measure everything thing with the Bible, uh, and in a contrary way, just approach the Bible is that I don't believe what somebody says, I have to verify it for myself, so anything outside the Bible, I want to verify that as well, and then I want to see how that measures up as it pertains to the Bible, and if it doesn't match, I may just look at well that's interesting for context but that's not going to affect my directional sort of view on something right so it's got it's got to line up but you find there's so many things that really line up as long as you understand what that polytheist lens is and see what they're actually saying they're saying the same thing they're just you know throwing in their their multiple god religion that that's in there so so I've got another book coming out that's not, I promise won't be as big as this one. <laughs> Although I'm on, I'm, I'm on chapter 60 right now. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness. And
1: I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be about 70 chapters, but it's going to be more Christian based as opposed to what I would try to do in this book is sort of attract people from all sorts of genres and get them curious to dig deeper in the Bible. Christians and non-Christians alike. And I do a lot of shows Uh, that are straight polytheist or secular or alien or you name it i i I tend to be able to because of the knowledge gathered in this research i can sort of make connections for them in terms of their genre as well and so this one is going to be you know uh very good for christians in terms of what they're asking for that they wanted more information about the giants in the bible and there's way more information in there than what people think how does that connect to prehistory how does that connect to the angels. and in a way whether or not of the angels and the the forces both visible and invisible I'm digging deep into that from a biblical perspective and hopefully it, it it does what a lot of Christians are looking for to go to that next level in terms of. Understand in the bible so it's going to be called genesis six conspiracy part two as i'm thinking unless the editor decides differently or the publisher decides it differently and the subtitle probably will be uh prophet uh, prehistory prophecy uh and maybe i might put something in there about giants or angels but it's basically prehistory and prophecy because one of the things that you know need to understand if you want to understand the full context of prophecy you have to understand prehistory because all of the allegory and the context is
0: there i know that was a rat but <laughs> that, that was perfect that's a perfect way to explain it oh, i can i can't wait for the second book i haven't full disclosure i haven't made it all the way through the first book i bought it <laughs> i bought it like five years ago and i was brand new to the the whole idea you know and i, I cracked the book open and i got through about 30 pages and i was like what am, I, I can't keep up you know i I was brand new into this, so it, it was over my head. Yeah, but it was it was so entertaining I didn't want to stop, but I just couldn't grasp it. Well, cut to well, now and, and I, for. You- for,
1: for people that may want to look at the book is, is it, it is loaded with information, there isn't filler in there it just sentence after sentence right from chapter one through chapter 98, yeah. it's going to give you more information but it's written in a style because I know and I'm trying to introduce people sort of slowly but there's just so much going on that it just sort of keeps building right yeah. so you can't speed read it because and I should probably put a warning out on the first book but I didn't as a joke but uh-huh. don't read it too fast because you might pop some brain cells so like you'll get you'll get overlaid, overloaded with information so each chapter is a mini story absolutely and so you can walk away and come back or and as the book unfolds that information will keep coming up. So if you want to go back and refresh yourself that you can. So, but it might take two or three months to read with the speed of sort of understanding. And then I find many people as as what I learned with the book as well, with all the different readings I had to do with it is, is that, you learn so much more in the second read and right. in the third read. Yeah. And then a lot of people will use the book as almost like a reference book because of how the chapters are
0: set out. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And that that's what take, it's taking me longer now to read it is I do like I, I love the references, you know, so I go in there and like, oh, let's check this out. And I'll pull up Google and I'll stop what I'm doing to check this out, you know, and learn more yep. as I go. And plus, when the first time I tried to read it, I, I don't want to intimidate anybody. I was working full-time and going to college full-time to get my degree, you know what I mean? And I was trying to read this on top, and this was like its own study for me because I wanted to learn everything I could. I just didn't have the time to devote to it. That's what I should have said. Um, but it's, it's a fantastic book. I can't wait for the second one to come out. I should be ready for it by the time it gets here. So, uh, all right. So here we are at Genesis 6, uh, chapter chapter six verse four right that's that's where they they dropped the word the Nephilim um, for those who don't know what the Nephilim are or what the who the watchers were can you give us a, a brief history on sure. that?
1: Yeah, and it is a big subject, but I'll condense it. Yeah, so, yeah it's huge. I, I yeah, hate I'll give people as best as I can do, which I'm not good at condensing at times. <laughs> so, giant shows up, as I said, three times um, as it shows up in Genesis six four with the word nephil, and so one of the things I do is I like to take things back to Hebrew and and into greek to get a, a fuller understanding so in other translations that's going to show up as nephilim which is the male plural which is uh, understood as a plural and what i encourage people to do as a plural attach the word ones on it so let's say you get seraphim angels for example they were the sixth wing fiery serpent angels and the and the singular is seraph and the plural is seraphim with the i am plural male plural ah would be a uh, female plural and so you would understand that as that translated out of hebrew as the um sixth wing serpent-faced angels wow a dragon right a (laughs) dragon dragon and so it helps you to sort of understand the word so that when you take the word giant back to nephil, uh, which is the singular format, and that it, it says that, uh, that that word means in Hebrew, a tyrant, a bully, or a tribe of giants. One has several meanings and you have to apply the right meaning in the translation and or the context yeah. and in that one i would use all of those definitions that are provided to understand who the giants are in genesis 6:4, created before the flood and that this word giant doesn't mean something taller just taller i mean it mean it means absolutely out of the norms of tall and size and these were monstrous types of beings and before the flood those giants would have been bigger than the ones after the flood who are named differently that's the raphaim that we're talking about that's used 25 times in the old testament and it shows up as a word raphaim twice in genesis 14, which is a post diluvian or after the flood war of the Mesopotamian giant kings against the giant nations and kings of the covenant land. That is taking place just after Abraham has moved in from Ur into the land of Canaan. And so there are also many more names for the Raphaim nations after the flood. And I don't talk a lot about the Rephaim in in the first book because I didn't want to get people confused because I realized most of them in the second book. We're going to talk so much about Rephaim, you're going to get, you're going to be seeing that in your sleep, I think, if you read the book. (laughs) So these are the giants that are created by a group of people called the Sons of God in the preamble to the flood story. Yeah. And so it's and, there, and it's there as a direct connection to the cause that causes the violence, and, and the leading away of all of the people of the earth at that time. Sethites or Canites, uh, and particularly the Sethites are going to be corrupted at that time forward, and that these are the giants that are going to usurp the kingships and control and enslave humankind after that point because they're. offspring of the sons of god they're a hybrid being angelic and human because they're created from the sons of god and human females now in polytheism demigod is what they're kind of called they're also known by a lot of other names whether or not it's the titans or it's the anunnaki uh, and also watchers as well but um, understand that these giant kings will have similar names and titles as their parents the godfathers mm-hmm. um, and or the celestial mafias i would like to call them and the sons of god are the fallen angels okay. and demigod in polytheism from the polytheist lens is defined as the offspring of a god and a human female just as poseidon yeah you know had one wife had many uh, human wives one of them in particular is is uh, clymene and she produced 10 Nephilim kings, 10 hero, 10 titans, as they're called. as Atlas is called the hero and a Titan, a Titan of the earth in this case, as opposed to the Titan of the heaven that the gods are also called. And these, this is the same story in Greek mythology with gods procreating with human females to create the same beings. Now the sons of God in the Bible are thought to be either Sethites and some, views sometimes are thought of as as angels um and sometimes they're thought of as a term that are the humans after or in the new testament that are called the sons of god and so i do cover this a little bit and i have great documents on this that i do for free if people want to get a hold of me through my website just ask for uh, the document in terms of a subject area i'll send you that document But what I, where I'm get, getting at here in terms of the sons of God in the New Testament, that is a promise that happens as a prophecy, an extension of Christ's resurrection that will be adopted as sons of God in the future time, even though we have human fathers, Yes, using bits and pieces out of different verses. In It's got nothing to do with what happened before the flood, or that these sons of God are something unique when it's making a designation we have human fathers and they do not yes, yes right yes. so the sons of god shows up in the book of job 1:6 1, 1 and 38 verses 4 through 7 and these are the angels that are presenting themselves before god's throne in heaven whom satan also accompanies and what's interesting as well is in job 38 sons of god are there with the morning stars at the time of creation humans aren't there at the time of creation Hmm. and stars the host of heaven sons of god and angels are used together often not all four at the same time but in different combinations which i'll show you you know in the document to to know that they're talking about the same thing they're also not the sons of god as israel is called because they're going to happen Much later, and that's an allegory because they're not a son of God. There's only one true sort of son of God, and then there's these sons of God, and they have different creations, right? They could have made this simpler, couldn't they? (laughs) Yeah, so these are angels in the short story, and um, they are watchers, as they're called in Enoch. Now, watchers are four different groups that sit around the throne. They are the archangels, uh, you know, like Michael and Gabriel. There's more, but according to the Book of Enoch, but that's all that we get biblically, although in the old KGV Apocrypha, you also get Uriel and Raphael uh, of of the seven. It's probably the seven that are talked about in in the Book of Revelations Mm -hmm. as the watchers. And then you also have the Trubim. Um and again notice that you're getting that I am plural, right? And they're the four-faced angels. Yep. And you also have another group that is described in the book of Ezekiel in uh, chapters one and ten, where you have the cherubim that are pulling in the vision God's throne. You have ones that are kind of like the cherubim, but they have a different face and they're in the wheels. And in the book of Enoch, they're called the Ophani. And Ophan and Gigal are both Hebrew words for wheel. And so when it's referring to a wheel in the Ezekiel passages, that's Gagal. When it's referring to the wheel angels, it's Ophan. I put the I am plural on it. These are the, the wheel angels, right? <laughs> the wheel ones, right? And those are the four groups of watchers. When I add in the last one, which is the seraphim who we already talked about, which were the six winged, as Isaiah 6 talks about, um, that work before the altar who have serpent faces and act as priest-like angels, and actually will take one of those hot stones and purify Isaiah's lips in that uh, vision to take the sin away so that he can receive the information that he's going to get. And these are, that are responsible for not only the sort of religious aspect, as they're understood being as ministers before the altar of God or in, in the altar of God of the fiery stones, but also the governance of the earth. So when you look at what's going on in the book of Enoch, you see that not only are they, you know, as the fallen angels are providing the religion and the illicit knowledge, but also they're governing as watchers. We do get watchers that does show up in the Bible four times. And that is in Daniel four. Uh, When the watcher comes down in a vision from Daniel, that is going to be talking about governance and thrones and who should be in power and who shouldn't be. And that's the Hebrew word, which is an important word to understand when you're starting to talk about um, watching. And ayir means to walk, to be wakeful, because these watchers were always awake before the throne, in front of God. They were, and so when we look at uh, the word satir, which is a devil goat god, right in the Bible it shows up twice, and actually a couple more times as devil gods, but in Isaiah thirteen and Isaiah thirty-four, that's the word sair, and sa is broken down to hairy and ayir as a watcher. These are degraded watchers after the flood that show up so they're the seraphim watchers who are degraded and it's the seraphim watchers who create the first group of giants recorded in genesis um one through four now when you start to take that imagery of the seraphim dragon or serpent-faced uh, angels gods as they're known as fallen we know them as fallen angels in christianity but they're known as the gods of the pantheon mm-hmm. you start to understand why there's so much serpentine imagery in let's say the naga gods in india or the dragon creation gods in china yeah. or uh, you know gods like um quetzalcoatl and uh, Veracocha, and all of the feathered and plumed serpent gods of the Kishamaya and the Incas. Right. And you've got gods like Onlil and Anki looking like serpent gods. And Tiamat, that's a parent god, that serpent light. And the Ogdo, parent gods, Egyptian, and Isis, who are depicted as as serpent gods. And in all the cultures around the world, you get a large group of these governing angels um, even as in Zeus uh, and the Olympian gods being depicted in serpentine imageries in their original sort of um, presentations, and these are fallen seraphim watchers that hmm. were the ones who created to create offspring that probably looked just like them.
0: Wow. Okay. That that, that gives me a couple more questions. Um, now. If the if the, the the sons of God if they were re- referring to Sethites that would mean that you know strictly just Canaanite women were the ones that were being uh, used to reproduce right yes now uh, as the the sons of God in the term as fallen angels is it still just the descendants of Cain that were being, uh, that were that were procreating with these creatures, or
1: well, I think in the beginning, but one has to be open to the idea that as the next uh, few generations unfolded, right, right, and Noah lived six hundred years until the flood, and these are created in the time of Jared and Noah. Uh, depending on whether or not you're getting the days of jared from enoch or the days of noah as it's called about in the bible that matches up perfectly by the way um there is a lot of period of time right Mm -hmm. and as noah is shows up in the bible he shows up in the last chapter uh the last verse in chapter five where he shows up and so do his three sons and then you get the next four chapters of the flood and then you get his genealogy again and his commission right so he bookends around this and so he's intimately connected and that's why you have that reference for end time prophecy as in the days of noah which is sort of the overarching one of the three overarching signs to the specific events that are talked about in jesus's orations in matthew 24 mark 13 luke 17 and 21 so so one of the reasons why it's important to understand because he lived 350 years after the flood as well and those are the same words that jesus uses the days of noah right and yes. one's written down as english translated or written down in greek translated into english and the other one hebrew recorded and translated into english and it's it's the exact same words because it ought to be because <laughs> he's yes. the word of god so these, these giants that are procreating, they're going to corrupt the Sethian line after their creation, along with the mystical religion, which we haven't talked about yet, yeah, but yeah. that's part of the overall organizational structure. And by the time of Noah, and by the time as you hear, it's getting to probably the last of the ones loyal to God and believing in God, not corrupted spiritually or physically is the one chosen to cross the flood, which is why we have that genealogy before the flood. Then we get the genealogy afterwards, and then we get Jesus as a genealogy. So we get that complete genealogy throughout the Bible so that we can understand the purity of that bloodline.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So what's going on? In a nutshell, and this is elementary terms because I <laughs> I'm nowhere near your level, but from my understanding, just uh, the Watchers or the the fallen angels were cast down. They're on Earth. They see these Canaanite women. They breed with them, take them as their wives. Some say, and they have the Nephilim. Uh, they also get a hold of the Sethites after about what seven generations or something like that. They corrupt that bloodline, and that's their whole agenda. Yeah, they agenda. Would be
1: corrupting them immediately. Yep.
0: Yeah, yep. is that yeah. Not, not the so whole plan?
1: What's what's the context? Right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it is. It it is, but it's it is the not the source of the whole plan. Okay. It's sort of the weapon, one of the weapons of the plan. Okay. So if we want to understand our history, why we're created, why all of this is playing out and it plays out through free choice and yes. God is greater than free choice. So he knows everything is alpha omega. He knows how it's going to happen. You have an angelic rebellion. That is a context that you have to understand that is key to everything of who we are, why we are created and what our destiny is if we choose it. And so when you have The creation of Adam in Genesis 2, this is the resolution plan that God has decided to go forward with, that is the resolution to the angelic rebellion, Mm -hmm. so that we will be raised up in the physical world with very little knowledge of God, unlike angels, who in their world to have intimate knowledge of God yet still rebelled, and we're going to be forced to choose our way through this world that's corrupted by the fallen angels. That Satan is still the prince of the world and is governed by the council of gods. In uh, Psalm eighty-two, as numbered by the seventy nations, both before and after the flood, as the number of the sons of Adam. Although they're not fully listed in the Bible, are counted at seventy and. Deuteronomy 32 or the 70 sons of Israel in Egypt or the 70 patriarchs in the table of nations that we talked about earlier.
0: If you're looking for the pack that will help you survive the worst day of your life or a pack to use for your everyday carry that you would never have to worry about failing, if you're looking for the perfect bug out bag, the perfect bushcraft pack uh, for camping, hiking, whatever your needs, Go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com and check it out. All products are 100% made in America. You can use promo code BUMP22 and save 10% site-wide. All right, that's BUMP22 to save 10% site-wide. This is a veteran-owned business. Like I said, every component of every product made in America, the buckles, the zippers, the straps, American made. Um, There's never been a more important time than now to bring it home. You know what I mean? So go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com, best products on the market. I've got videos on YouTube about it if you want to see it. Um, Or just go to the website, check it out, SquatchSurvivalGear.com.
1: And so these 70 nations have representatives of a fallen angel that sits in the council of God that Satan sits over because he has a council like God. It's a different word for congregation than it is in Isaiah 14, where he wants to become like God and raise his throne into heaven to be like God in
0: that
1: congregation it's a counterfeit congregation. that's well that's part of the context is that we're the resolution to this rebellion and so that's why satan um, goes on his revenge fallen angels do and the first revenge is, is the fall of adam and eve in eden the second revenge is the creation of the demigods to enslave them and lead them into complete destruction so that we can't be raised up in the future time to be like angels, even though we have human fathers, so we can be raised up like sons of God and have chosen that with very little knowledge, all on faith, and that we will actually judge those fallen angels in the future time for their crimes against creation and humanity in creating these demigods and all the horrible things, both the fallen angels and their demigod, spurious offspring, the terrible ones, as they're called later on in the Old Testament, like in Isaiah 14, or Isaiah yeah, chapter 14, as in Ezekiel 31, as in Ezekiel 32, I won't go through all of the chapters. These are the terrible ones for the terrible things that they did to humankind, mm-hmm. right? All throughout their history. And they're there to ensure we don't reach our destiny. And so you get all of these revenge that are going to happen throughout the Bible recorded, right? Have the flood. Actually, they've corrupted the whole world. God's going to start again, so he's going to wipe out everybody but eight. Unfortunately, the giants and the fallen angels, not all of them, or not all of the fallen angels went to the abyss for their crimes. So there were still ones that are out afterwards. So it doesn't matter whether or not Nephilim survived the flood or they're recreated after the flood. And I document both Um, In my book, I lean from a personal perspective on second creation of giants because it fits better. And they were leading us astray right from the beginning because they're the first ones there. And they're the people that the people of Babel are going to meet up with thereafter and then intermarry with. And they're going to impose their mysticism and their organizational structure, their four-class system. To enslave humankind where the humans are all the slaves and the working class and they control all of the upper classes including of of the religion and in babel you have israel being and all of the things that the nations in the time of the conquest tried to do to wipe israel from the face of the earth you have satan trying to have jesus murdered as a baby you have the crucifixion of Jesus, but that's the thing he's greater than the than the gods, he's greater than the pantheon, he's greater than the fallen angels because he's Alpha Omega. And had the fallen angels understood that there was going to be a resurrection, they wouldn't have had Jesus crucified, right. as the Book of Corinthians talks about. So they don't know everything. They're telling their followers that they do, and God is just another angel, just like them. Mm. But that's the, that's the two sort of different belief systems we have on earth. And if people think secular is the third one, no, it's, it's a puppet string of the, uh, of the polytheists. So you have to understand what's behind the curtain in terms of science. As I said, it was a knowledge religion and they created the seven sacred sciences that we call the seven liberal arts today. Uh-huh. And that's what merged in the time of the flood uh, before the flood with the knowledge from heaven the illicit knowledge or the gods that providing the knowledge in polytheism and this is the knowledge that is going to help parade the antediluvian epoch into destruction and the same knowledge that we're now starting to catch up to so it'll be like the days of Noah, um, with all of the technology that that we that we're having access to today so when we look at those seven sacred sciences that's what is used by a fellow by the name of cain mm-hmm. who according to polytheism learned this knowledge in eden from adam or adam learned it in edom and he's running this large massive garden it's got four huge rivers flowing through it right. including the euphrates and the nile river it, this is not small he's raising herds he's raising Crops, he's raising orchards. As you take that language back to the Hebrew, you get all of that meaning. And so he would have had to have been provided significant knowledge to run it by himself. And then he's added a partner uh, of the name of Eve that comes from him. And uh, so this knowledge is passed on to Cain and to Abel. Abel's obviously murdered, and then to Seth. Seth's going to use the knowledge to honor God. But way. who he passes it on to Enoch. Enoch is the one who separates it into the seven sciences and it's designed to lead people away from God. It's designed to degrade God. It's designed not to give credit to God for anything and the fourth thing it's designed to do is to honor their pantheon of God's all possible buildings words language the whole system is satan's system and the, and the and the pantheon and that's who they're going to honor and when you roll that forward to 1662 in the west you get a formation of the royal society that is formed by rosicrucians and freemasons that is going to be the modern wedge and the first outside the roman church for education for an organization and the science is that all science and education still pays homage to do in what's called the invisible college or the royal society it's known by both invisible goes back back to rosicrucian and you don't know the the secret societies you wouldn't know that they take their patriarchs back to Enoch, son of Cain, and there's two Enochs, Enoch, son of Jared, of the Seth line, and Enoch, son of Cain, and a lot of people don't realize that, and they're conflated throughout history because both had an important effect to the Luthien world, just as Tubal-Cain, Nama, Jubal and Jubal, and Lamax, and there's two Lamax as well, are all great patriarchs in the secret societies because they take their creation back to the mystery schools that were used to develop this knowledge, and mystery schools were an extension out of the mystical religion that comes about because of the seven sacred sciences that Enoch develops that merges with the uh, fallen angels, and they're going to create a mystical religion that... Um, is going to sort of beget all those other things I began with. And this is the same mystical religion Enochian mysticism that crosses the flood, according to Masonic records, the Royal Masonic records, and that's the ancient knowledge that Nimrod is going to have brought to him by a fellow named Hermes, as their records show, and they have parallel accounts of this, um, and they used the Bible in a lot of access in a lot of cases, which is why they use the King James Version Bible, at least, and they probably use other ones now, but to swear their oaths on, right, and for the initiates, right, and they're told what to study in the Bible. But at the time of Nimrod, so I don't digress too much, Hermes finds 36,525 books under the Great Pyramid, stacked in nine vaults under the Great Pyramid. And he finds that because he finds one of the two pillars. One is designed to survive the destruction by fire. And one is designed to decide to survive a flood because they don't know what the apocalypse is going to be. They just know they're going to be wiped out and they're <sighs> going to save this knowledge. And the directions Hermes finds after he finds this knowledge, takes it back to Babel. And that's when we all of a sudden have this mystical religion that's imposed on the Noahites after the flood, yes. right? About a hundred years after the flood and they start worshiping Pantheon. And some of this knowledge is used to build the city, to build Babel Tower. And we're given a hint of how powerful this knowledge is in the Bible where it says working as one people with one tongue, one language, there's nothing that they now will try to do that will be prevented from them to doing so. God you know, confuses the languages. And so we see the evidence today in the education and in science that they're doing the same things with the seven sacred sciences. It's designed to lead people away from God. It's designed to not give God credit for anything. It's designed to degrade God, and it's designed to honor the gods and all of the polytheist buildings all the names that are picked in, all the different names that are used throughout science, all come from the pantheon of gods and their offsprings, various yes. giants, and it just inundates it uh, with their imagery, their language, and the knowledge that they're developing, so that they can uh, eventually bring about a rebellion in the end time. It's all part of the larger
0: agenda. Wow, that's perfect. Uh you blew my mind (laughs) and i've read it i knew it was coming i knew what you were going to say but just the way you can sum it up i thank you so much for doing this uh okay so this brings us up you 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 got us up to modern times okay uh i guess we can talk about it freemasons they're part of this secret society right that are trying to push and further the nephilim agenda
1: yeah they're um low on the hierarchy
0: okay uh, who, yeah. who would be higher?
1: oh okay so let's look at freemasons and they have two organizational structures one is the more modern version that was created in the united states called the scottish Rite, mm-hmm. that has 33 degrees yeah. system is three degrees they've just split it up and at a prime number 11, ways, 11 times 3 is 33, right? That's first level adept. Second level adept is fifth degree in terms of sort of a position where you would oversee many lodges. At the core of the adept level are the Illuminati. So they'll have be higher than a degree. Okay. So Freemasons. Uh, And then below the Freemasons, you might have all of these other initiatory organizations that they would have their members part of uh, just to sort of control to uh, help implement their sort of overall agenda and sort of keep that sort of veneer out there that they're this good society doing good things for communities and things. So whether it's the Lions Club or the Elks Club or you know within the church you've got the knights of columbus and things like that so they're they're everywhere with these initiatory organizations if they swear else in their initiatory organization they are a secret society of polytheism you just need to know that up front uh, and i'm not saying you know people are allowed to believe whatever they want to believe and do what they want to do but just understand you're joining you may not know the secrets because you're not an adept but you're part of a polytheist organization <laughs> and so Each of these organizations will have an agenda and a specific role to play. So like the Freemasons, for example, would be in charge of politics and the army. So when you look, let's say even back in American history, they're heavily involved in the writing of the Constitution and and controlling with free members like George Washington I won't go through the whole list of founding fathers but there you can see that sort of representation and they do that throughout the world and they expanded their lodge network through the english empire around the world um, so that they could extend this sort of influence and so the illuminati their role is is to destroy christianity and to work on world government now above the illuminati is the rosicrucians And this is a very important organization because it's an intersection organization as i would call it so as you rise up through the different levels from freemasonry and then the illuminati the most talented and the ones who they want to move up and will be permitted to intermarry in the royal bloodlines that we'll get to next when you want to understand secret societies would move up to the lower level of the rosicrucians so the bottom half is those ones that are rising up the top half are part of the masonic bloodlines the royal bloodlines of royal masonry that goes back to before the flood crossed the flood and was dominated by the royal bloodlines and dynasties throughout history and so they would populate um, their people in the rosicrucians at the top level above and the rosicrucians what they're there to do is they're there to keep the history alive they're there to keep the genealogy alive they're there to keep the religion alive that we would know as gnosticism which produced theosophy which produced new age but is part of polytheism all around the world because they believe that all of those gods and each of those pantheons are just different vernacular names for the same gods. And I think they're, they're correct on that. And so they're, they they focus on things like global Gnosticism because they want to bring that universal religion back the new Babylon, as they like to call it. And as it was written into the statutes of the constitution of the Knights Templar, that they were created to create the new Babylon within the Roman church and that the that the after the fall of the Templars you get these other organizations that I'm talking about, including the Jesuits, who are created as the new Templars with Ignatius Ignatius of Loyola, uh, sponsored by a fellow with the name of Borgia, who's the bloodline of the priests of the Roman Catholic Church. And is, head of the which is the royal sponsored order that's sponsored by the king of spain who was created in 1307 the same year the templars are destroyed to get to keep the spanish wealth within the hands and not into the pope's hands right uh-huh. and so borgia he's going to sponsor them ensure that they get their papal bull um in, <clears throat> in about 1540 and by 1570 he begins the third grand master Master of the and would put them not in the tree trunk because they would report into the original Rosicrucians who sponsored them. Now, the original Rosicrucians are higher than what they are now. They're, they were the level of the Knights Templar, the Royal Ones, the Royal Monarchs. So they'd be equivalent to 33 invisible ones that we're trying to negotiate with the Pope in 1317 to reestablish the Templars within the church. But the church said the only way we're going to do that is we have complete control. It was going to be not what they wanted. So they went underground and it created the Rosicrucian society.
0: Oh my goodness. All right. And hold, hold on. Let me stop you just for one second. That my-
1: explains the history that will explain the history of the, council of 33 that's immediate that's above the committee of 300 or that 33 so there's a couple of groups in between from the original rosicrucians after the fall of the templars you had a question
0: yeah (laughs) well what i need to do is switch this internet back over real quick i shouldn't drop you it'll just transfer because for whatever reason it it started dragging real bad for a second there let me just switch it over i hope we're not going to be uh Oh, but not the government <laughs> <laughs> okay how is this is this working
1: yeah it's fine on my end
0: okay it was telling me my, my bandwidth was low and i i didn't want to interrupt what you were what you were doing you were on a roll it, it lagged just a little bit there and i didn't want anybody to miss it so. yep yeah. no worries
1: so can i start again or
0: yes sir i'm so sorry okay
1: that's okay so once we understand that there's hierarchies that are pure blood orders above the rosicrucians you're going to have another couple of terms you need to understand that you may or may not be aware of one would be the black nobility okay and the larger black nobility the black nobility is most famous for the pope bloodlines within the church because again all the upper end of the religions and society is dominated by the descendants of the giants understand they track that and that's why there's several borgias as popes as as example yes sir lines back to julius caesar and to the royal families of rome that were created from uh the gods of rome in their pantheon it's the same story you know begins with sort of romulus and remus and they're the offspring of the gods and (laughs) you get that that royal bloodline further down so the jesuits would report into the black nobility also known as rex deus that i cover also in the book Uh, which means the kings of God because they believe they have the divine right to rule from their pantheon of gods right just as King James said he had the divine right to rule that's the divine right to rule after the flood that came from Mount Hermon and the Balim and also um, the same divine right to rule that the original Nephilim would have believed that they had because it's all the same sort of belief system and so the Jesuits would report into probably the committee of 300 uh, possibly the top end of the Rosicrucians. So, as we're going up this tree trunk and we're at the Rosicrucians, and the Committee of 300 is 300 of the bloodline families of Europe that are above the Rosicrucians, you have all of these intersecting branches that come in. Probably not good to try and understand the hierarchy through pyramids because you have way too many pyramids and it's way too complicated. Uh-huh understand the trunk organizations and all of these trees going into the space that they would um, encompass on that trunk. And that as you go further out into the branch, you get lower orders within that. So let's say you have the Jesuits, which would report in, they would be at the top right by the branch. And some people even put them in the trunk, but I can't quite square that in terms of the general hierarchy. And then below that, you would have all the other organizations within the Catholic Church, whether or not it might be Opus Dei, uh, which was created as, as uh, what they call Christian Masonry in the 1930s. Uh, you would have in there, which were the creators of the Knights Templar. So it's just sort of reestablishing that sort of hierarchy. You have um You know, they're very low levels, like, you know, the Knights of Columbus, for example, within the church, right? So, but they report back in just as you would have the Bilderbergers, which at the top half of that organization is all royals that would go back into the committee of 300 or maybe uh, the council of 33, which is the next one above, but they bring in once a year, all the new bloods so to speak all the new money well so whether or not it's bill clinton or bill gates or all of these people that you see go into this meeting they get their marching orders once a year to bring about the global agenda yes right and they're doing that so that their offspring can intermarry into these bloodlines and obtain a higher position in the next generations the club of rome would be similarly attached in at that level as well that was created in the late 1960s to bring about a world government that has 10 groups of nations or trading blocks or spheres of influence which is the same number in daniel 2 daniel 7 revelation 13 and revelation 17 for the 10 king empire of the end time yeah. and so um that's what they're focused on so um above the rosicrucians as as i said is the 300 families right and then you have the uh council of 33 which is again going up the hierarchy of royal masonic nephilim raphaim families uh, that are above that and then you have the 13 families now this usually kind of blows people away that's just the western bloodline and organization so you can imagine that you have all of these different bloodlines around the world who have secret societies just like the chinese are famous for their secret societies um, because they have a similar type of system in fact we're considered by you know very famous secret society people like the rockefellers past um, would consider their various organizations and i won't go through the litany of organizations in china but they have lots. Yeah. And that their Chinese dynasty, which is the Sha dynasty, which where the Li family comes from, and the Xi name comes from from the western side of the Li dynasty. They're created by the dragon creator gods. These wow. are the sons of heaven, or yeah. the original Nephilim. These are dragon kings, um, because they look just like their their offspring, just like Akhenaten, if you'll take a look at him on a Google, you'll see a serpentine face and that's been line nature for over a thousand years since the flood, depending on which chronology that that you're wanting to, to utilize. So you have different bloodlines all around the world you have to consider. And that's important to understand when we're trying to understand end time prophecy and what President Xi is doing who's a bloodline from the Shah Dynasty, uh, Z-I from Z-I-A. It's a short form of of that name and of the Li Dynasty. And he's going to reestablish his ancient empire, just as you have Putin, who is trying to do the same thing for his group of nations, his sphere of influence that goes back to the Kiev dynasties, which is why he wants the Ukraine and the put Yanin, which were the original bloodlines of the rusk of the of the tartars the cossacks of the tartarians of the scythians that developed russia and and the ukraine and they're trying to he's trying to recreate that bloodline dynasty he's not full pureblood he's his name shows up out of nowhere in the 1850s and that's typically what they did um, in in the ukraine which where his grandfather was born And there's no record of a Putin name before that, but there's a Putyana name, which is the bloodline, uh, which, you know, originally established the Moscow Tsar center where the Romanovs took over after the 1600s. So just so people are running where the Romanovs kind of fit in. And so what they would do is if there was somebody born outside of the of the marriage and was an illegitimate son they would get only part of the name and that's where putin comes from from Putian. so it's important to understand bloodlines and there's bloodlines all around the world that are going to form these 10 groups of nations for the end time that's why it's important to understand prehistory and it's going to be like the new atlantis that we talked about earlier which is a great analogy for genesis uh six verses one through four because of the you know poseidon going to a human female and creating 10 nephilim kings according to plato and and so that was considered the helm of world government that was trying to take over the whole world before the flood through war and was The bastion of culture and religion where all the knowledge and technology was was being developed and when you roll that forward to Francis Bacon who was a Rosicrucian and he is the inspirational founder for that Rosicrucian society that we're talking about in terms of the sciences Uh, and his picture hangs in the entrance even to this day as you walk into it he wrote a book called, you guessed it, The New Atlantis, which imagines a universal religion working in perfect harmony with science in the end time.
0: Imagine that.
1: <laughs> religion that created the sciences, of course.
0: Yeah. So, Gary, when, when you watch the news, is it just like not a shocker at all to you that this, this stuff is going on? You're like, oh, yep, that has to happen. This has to happen. It uh, Partly yes and partly no,
1: because you expect things and you kind of look at okay I think this is how it might sort of evil you know shape up down the road but some of the things that happen to start bringing those things about they kind of say well no I didn't quite imagine that was going to be part of that sequence Um, so but you can see it and you know, and I talk about those 10 groups of nations in, 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 in the book, and when I get into that sort of perfect, uh, prophetic aspect of chapter uh, four, so that people have an understanding for what I'm going to talk about in the end, Awesome. Uh, in the last half of the book, in terms of what the secret societies are, and and these royal bloodlines are trying to do to bring about the end time.
0: I think we froze up again. Okay. Yeah. Mine keeps wanting to freeze for like two seconds at a time. It's annoying, but um, yeah, no, you're not,
1: you're, you're not freezing on my end.
0: Good deal. Good deal. Hopefully I won't affect anything. Um, I wanted to bring somebody up, which I hate to do that. I had a past guest on my show. Um, very, very famous man. Uh, Scott Walter. I don't know if you've. I've heard the name. Uh, you know, the, the, it was an old show on the discovery channel or history channel called America unearthed.
1: Right. That's where I know the
0: name. Yes. Yes. I actually have one of his books. Yes. Well, Scott Walter came on the show. And uh, I wanted to talk about maybe giants in America. I'm I'm real big into giants. Um, I had this old stone head. I wanted him to take a look at on, you know, on the show and break it down for me, but the show kind of went, in a different direction. And I got so much hate mail from from it. Uh, (laughs) It was like, it got, got hairy because Scott Walter said that he has, uh, one, one, he was a Freemason or he is a Freemason. Yep. Pretty high level. Yep. Pretty pretty popular guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said, because of his position and his relative fame, he was approached by uh, uh, alphabet agency. That wanted to help that wanted his help to push the alien agenda. And that he was in contact with these, uh, these these people came and stayed with him at his house for a couple of days and wanted him to explain, you know, what the aliens wanted, why they're here. Um he got kind of political. He got really really political <laughs> for a minute. Um but it was just, it, it, it caught me off guard. And I didn't know how to handle that interview when that happened. Um, are, these, are aliens tied into the, the Nephilim bloodline and the secret societies? Are, are aliens not what we think they are? They're not just like little, you know, green men from outer space? Are they part, are they demonic? Are they part of this corruption?
1: yeah and we need to as you know particularly as christians and non-christians alike we need to understand this whole um alien phenomena yes. uh, and you know i think the you know like and and the history channel has a show on ancient aliens and i think they do marvelous work they obviously work through a biases that this is these are all aliens and they weren't angels or gods in 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 the past but other than the level of the powers of the beings they're telling the same story but just from an um ancient creation of guys who were freemasons you know and you know you look at uh Uh, you know the influence Sitchin had and he was a Freemason and a Gnostic so understand that they're they're giving you parts of the information and there might there's some truths in there but they're not there to give you the whole truth the clarity of it so we need to understand that there is this phenomena that goes back into prehistory with with the aliens whether or not you want to call them aliens or you want to call them angels Within that, and that's where we need to sort of sort of understand it. And so, when we look at what aliens can be, uh, you know, angels, they can take any form that they want. They can take a body. And we know they can take a body because right. they show up as men that aren't recognized as men in the Bible, and then men that are recognized as angels and other different sort of forms that we see in in the in the Bible. So, and in the uh, pantheon, you have gods and goddesses so they can take a, any gender that they choose as well yes and uh, that's done with, through something called the oiketarian effect i won't spend a lot of time because i'll get too far down this rabbit hole but it means a dwelling place for the spirit and that's the same word that's used for house in heaven in second corinthians 5 and in um jude 1 6 habitation that the angels left uh before the flood when they created their crimes and that dwelling place for the spirit it's a dwelling place for the spirit so you need a dwelling place for the spirit in this physical world if you want to interact in the physical world just as you need a dwelling place in heaven for that spirit to interact in the spirit world okay. and right so um so the soul and the body is the oiketarian and it's the spirit that comes from god that is the other aspect that merges with the soul and the body so that that they can interact in the world. You'll be affected by the world just as the fallen angels were, right? All right. We need, we need to understand that they can take any form that they want sort of from that concept. And mm-hmm. so they can take the form of any type of alien that they want. So typically in the alien mythos, you get the word Anunnaki and watcher show up. Oh yeah. Which they're also called in Sumerian history for the gods. And the Anunnaki are those ones that, you know, have wings and a a, uh, man's head or wings and an eagle face, which is typically thought to be part of the cherubim and the eagle of those four faces at a time when they represented themselves on earth uh, as, as fallen angels as fallen cherubim because it's an order of angels mm-hmm. right it's a grouping yeah. um and so they're just sort of bringing those aliens down to a level in the in the alien mythos to be you know highly advanced aliens but not gods right yeah. and technically fallen angels are aliens because they're alien to this world and they're from another dimension <laughs> the aboriginals right where the so you can classify them as it's just a matter of how you want to interpret that i don't think they're demons though and and for this case unless they've got a technology where they can possess um, a clone body or something like that that a that a demon would require because a demon is the bodiless spirit of a giant right Uh, it's the counterfeit spirit that's not permitted to go to sleep and it's not permitted to go into heaven and it has to wander unless it's one of the terrible ones that ends up going to the abyss uh, that are in the cells alongside who are slain for doing terrible things while they're on the earth that's typically that cut the head off as fast as you can type of death um and that was the worst death that you could have as a rapayu, which is the ugaritic semitic word that raphaim comes from um that were created by the balim and baal that are recorded in the ugaritic text and that was the worst death that they could have right because it wouldn't allow them to go where they wanted to go right in the underworld and afterwards everyone didn't want to go to prison and so these are the ones that wander, and these are the ones that Jesus. Not symbiotic, it's not a symbiotic relationship, perhaps, unless you're an adept level shaman or something that you're going to invite it in, but it's still going to take control over you, right? But right. it will add power. But with somebody who is fighting it, as in a Christian or Judaic possession, it's not symbiotic, right? Right. So. Doesn't seem to me that they're gonna sort of show up that sort of way and/or in other aliens, but it's a possibility. Typically, when I get in when I look at the lower levels of the organizational structure of the alien mythos, you get things like little people, like the gray aliens. Mm-hmm. You get um, the lizard people, um, and maybe different groups of the lizard people, and then you start adding in all of these other different forms. If we look at polytheism in terms of what the gods did both before and after the flood, they created the Chimera one that everybody sort of caught up on, which is, you know, has multiple beings that are DNA manipulated into create these Chimera type of beings, knowledge that we're just catching up that was there before the flood. They created all sorts of different beings, and, uh, you know, like uh, Pegasus and the centaurs and On and on and on and on. We won't go, but just give you an idea that they created a lot of different types of creatures. And so, there's one group that's at the bottom that uh, I would say of the of the of the hierarchical order close to the bottom would be the creations as offspring of the gods, which are like the giants, right? Uh And so, the giants are considered higher in the hierarchical order as the demons than the elementals. And I talk about three groups of elementals in the book, and I'll talk about the fourth. Uh, I'll talk about the fourth first. Order of the aliens, and it is the salamanders, as it's called, of the elementals. And they're larger than the little people. So when you hear about these larger reptilian type of beings, these are likely the salamanders. I don't know whether they're the same as the Nakash, the, the serpent in Eden, that was a walking, talking, intelligent human being, but it could be a different kind of, it could be the same or it could be a different kind of, of being. And in that sort of scenario, uh, to have Nakash survive, it would have had to have been saved by some of the fallen angels in the earth, off the earth, however they did it, right? Yeah. Um, so then you have three groups of little people that show up all throughout polytheist history you've got nymphs and fairies and elves and hobbits and everybody knows all about it what they don't know is it's a common legacy all around the world on all continents just as the flood story is religion was just as pyramids are on all continents around the world except for antarctica but we don't know what's below the ice so Uh, we'll leave that one sort of unanswered until now but there are three groups of them uh one is the are the good-looking ones another one is the mischievous ones like the leprechauns and another one is the ugly ones and they have all sorts of different sub ones in there there's many groups within that three group but there is one that sort of connects it into the alien mythos in a way that i think is really relevant in the ugly ones uh, you have things like hobbits and like in lord of the rings you also have dwarves which live in the earth and make weapons for the demigods role there's also another one called the gnomes which looked after knowledge and genealogies and technology for uh the demigods yeah. in the hierarchical order and they had flying machines that would come through portals well fairy mounds <laughs>
0: as
1: they're okay. called fairy dolmens. you can go go a dolmen, d-o-l-m-e-n and it's like a mini stonehenge they're all over the world these portals but in the fairy mythos they come through the fairy mounds or the shays s-i-d-h-e and they're called the shay people elves, which are different than the ugly dark elves and they're typically allegorized as the tuatha De nan as we would understand them as the giants both before and after the flood and in lord of the rings are the taller white ones with yeah. the blonde hair red hair hazel eyes and blue eyes that they're showing up in that sort of organizational or hierarchy of this of this greater Nephilim concept for lack of a better word but in the elemental sort of group so the gnomes are described as having flying machines that come through these portals and their descriptions and I give two descriptions in my book uh, they come through and they kidnap people for a fortnight as they do in Scotland longer in other places and they do experiments on them They've done this on human beings and they do do this throughout history but their description is identical to a gray alien of course of course and if you didn't know i was describing a fairy abduction you would swear it was a gray alien abduction going on so when you start to sort of understand the concept of the polytheist understanding and the beings that they would have created illegally as all violations against the laws of creation, both before and after the flood, as my understanding it is, is that they could be presenting as aliens, all of these different beings. And another concept in the alien mythos is is that they don't necessarily story of like you see in Star Wars and stuff. But typically, though, most of the encounters seem to have spaceships or uh, flying saucers or UFOs, whatever you want to call them, showing up as they come through portals.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Wow. And I think they're coming from another dimension versus from a planet beyond our solar system. Yes. Well, there it is.
0: Aliens or gnomes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one group of the gnomes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good
1: one you know one group of the aliens i should say
0: yeah
1: um but there'll be many and we're going to be shown many of these different groups I believe that. as part of the deception so that they can lead us into this end time war armageddon to fight against the evil god of the bible and win freedom just as the angels were trying to do led by lucifer to have a world on their own to be away from god and not have god's oversight
0: well, Gary, I have, uh, one more question and I asked you this, I, I, I mentioned it before we started recording. So I would like to just, uh, hit on this real quick and then, you know, I won't take up any more of your time. I'll have you tell me where we can find your book and your website and everything. But my last question for you, it, it pertains to another past guest that I had on. I, I, I mentioned this to you real quick before we recorded, um, I had a guest that said that she had telepathic communications with a Bigfoot creature, which we haven't even talked about Bigfoot. I guess that's that's for another day. But (laughs) she said that uh, you know that at first it was just you know communication, and then they started some gifting stuff, and it eventually led to where this creature was telling her that he was an Eliud, and said that he was a uh, a son of a nephilim, and that she was—you know—she needed to read certain books to gain knowledge about a feminine Holy Spirit or something to that effect. Are you familiar? Yeah, with...
1: that—that's that, an interesting concept. So,
0: yeah, are you familiar with it? Uh,
1: some, somewhat, I would say. This, this, this eliud term uh, from a apocryphal. Christian perspective yes. surfaces as, as I recall in the book of Jubilees where it lists the Nephilim the naphedim and the Elu as being types of giants types of Nephilim okay. now you could interpret that as being types of Nephilim as not being serpent look like to let's say like a lion as an alignment of moab or Gad that would come from like Nergal that's listed in the one of the uh, Raphaim races after the flood worshipped uh, in the east or it could be you know like a Sekhmet god or you know these there's lots of lion gods that are out there they would look just like them Uh, it could be the Tengu which are the bird Nephilim of the southeast Asia um that would be from the anunnaki or bird-like god Uh, just as you have the Zabalba in the in the popol vu and the Kamazots, which is the house of the bat uh, which is a branch of the owl-like bird-like nephilim demigods and if you google google camazots you're going to get this picture of uh, suit that uh, batman wears and the superheroes because these were the heroes of old right
0: right of course yeah. right
1: and, and most of them are all based on these ancient nephilim and the technologies that were developed in, in the antediluvian world the perhaps um offspring of gods like anubis or Nebaz, as it shows up again as an avian god in the east uh who was the barking god The the dog nephilim and the dog warriors tend to come from, and they're lower level within the sort of organizational structure. I think, Um, so there's that aspect. It could mean that, or it could mean different kinds of nephilim type of creations, right? From the offspring and/or of the gods, and maybe another animal. Or a tripart aspect of human, animal, and gods, um, and, the, and the only reason why I leave open that sort of tripart aspect is when you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh. And it's talking about Gilgamesh after the flood, as opposed to Gilgamesh before the flood that shows up in the Book of Giants. He is one third. Pistin is also listed the same way in Enkidu and all of Upnapishan's family. So, for some reasons, the Sumerians were separating it into thirds instead of the typical sort of halves that we would understand it. So, there could be another piece in there. I, I'm just speculating on that. Right. But if we understand that sort of concept and you understand all of those other types of creatures that I was talking about, like the little people. That's kind of like under that greater Nephilim concept of other creatures that um, were developed either through DNA manipulation or sexual copulation as they're typically understood as in mythology um, or combination of it, right? So if you have Bigfoot as being a Nephilim associated as they're showing up uh, in, in, in the book of... Uh, Jubilees, um as, as we just mentioned, um, maybe that's a different sort of group of this Nephilim like, but not the Nephilim, because they're clearly stated as, as as a separate group of people. So you'd have to look for then a God, right? And understand that the Bigfoot aren't as big as the Nephilim. Right. Right? So they're they're either uh created through nephilim copulating with an animal of some sort to sort of create it even though nephilim are also known as being hairy and there's dark haired ones um and bigfoot is intelligent and it can communicate we we know these things and it smells similar to a nephilim according to it and it's associated with portals and there's an association here but it's smaller and it's seemingly more distinct right. so again an offspring of a nephilim or a Raphaim, and something or a god and a human female or a god and an animal or something there is though um, this connection if you want to get it closer to the nephilim creation there are gods in india and china that are ape gods uh, like sun wukong or king in in the chinese version and yeah. it was like the monkey king and the monkey demigods india which was a deep demigod so i would look probably more to something closer related to that than the nephilim doing it um, although it's possible but nephilim tend to have have had procreation issues okay so in like in the ugaritic text for example they are bringing in rituals to baal and Uh ashtaroth to come back because they've gone Created the raphaim the raphaim the rapi as they're recorded in the ugaritic text then they like their parent gods who also disappeared in other words baal's father is el and he's nowhere to be found right. except that somehow you killed an immortal being which doesn't make any sense but what we do know is the angels and the gods who created nephilim before the flood they went to the abyss yes right we know that in jude 1 6 we know that in in second peter And so if the offspring gods moved up as the Saba, as the host of heaven, as the rebellious ones, which means army, which has rank and order, and these are the sons of the parent gods who moved up, then if they did the same thing again after the flood, they would go to the abyss as well. Wow. Right? So they're trying to bring back Baal and Ashtaroth to recreate more Repium because they're having trouble reproducing. Fantastic. And they're talked about as having those issues. Yeah. So it seems unlikely if they had those reproduction issues that they would have been able to re- to create this whole new race of Bigfoot or Sasquatch and all the different names that they're known on all continents around the world. Hmm. And I think, uh, as well, when we, when we look at that sort of, um, you know, interrelationship as to who, uh, the, the big, the Bigfoot people are, is that um, they have a, and they're almost in a support role. They're also associated with little people and and with caves and and things like that. And they do do, they're associated with drinking the blood out of animals. They have a lot of different sort of traits, but they just seem to be, you know, a little bit more distinct. Um, You know, they have shining eyes as, as they're noted, just as the Nephilim were called shining ones, but the Nephilim were never described as apes. Right. right? So I think the likelihood that they had procreation difficulties would lean that back in my way of reckoning things the offspring or the creation somehow that came from the fallen angels that created something that had dna like them either through dna ma- manipulation or sexual copulation
0: fantastic thank you so much and then
1: and, and another one would be um dero is um is another god that sort of is uh, as it comes out of mythology as one of those eight type of beings and associated with Big, bigfoot as well dero yeah d-e-r-o Okay, I'll check that out too. And that's linked to Ganesh of India. And Ganesh was an elephant god. Yeah. But it's part of that pantheon of gods, right? Of animal-like beings.
0: Yes. Awesome. Mr. Wayne, thank you. I, I know there is so much more to go into, but I've already had you on here for an, over an hour and a half. And I, I know you're a busy, busy man. So, maybe you can bless me with a, a part two one day down the road. Oh, absolutely. Cause we just touched on things today. Uh, so. I know. I know. <laughs> but I, I thank you so much for it. If you don't mind, why don't you tell everybody your websites, where they can find your book and all that good stuff?
1: Sure. If, uh, if you want to uh, get a hold of me, the best way to get a hold of me is through my website, which is the Genesis 6 with the number six conspiracy.com. And on that website, you have a contact the author. So, you know, if you wanted, you know, a document, let's say, on the elementals that I was talking about today or, you know, how we know the sons of God are angels and not humans. I've got documents on that. I don't have documents on absolutely everything, but name the subject. Um, And if I got a document, I'll send it to you. Um, And if I don't have a document, I'll give you some information on it. Um, Or if you have another question that you want to ask. uh, just, uh, you know, pose the question and it may take me a couple of weeks to get back to you, but I will get back to you. Also on the website, you have a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters. So you can get a good feel for you, whether or not it's the right book for you or not. And I think just looking at the table of contents is going to grab your attention. So, and if you didn't want to buy a book, you can link over to the buy now um, tab and you can get a signed copy for me, uh, or you can link over to barnesandnoble.com or to amazon.com or to amazon.ca and or to the kindle version so lots of ways to get that book off the website it is available through most online bookstores um, and it is uh, so if you prefer to buy not from the the main ones or if you wanted to support your local bookstore and it's not on their shelf it's the publisher has it distributed through a company called bookmasters in pennsylvania pennsylvania There for you if you want to support your
0: local bookstore. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. It was worth the wait. I <laughs> will uh, I'll definitely be keeping in touch. Hopefully, I can get this episode edited and all that kind of good stuff in the next couple of weeks and have it out before Easter. Terrific. But, uh, I just want to thank you again. It, it's been an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you today. All right, that's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. If you just have to have more content, you can go to patreon.com slash thebumppodcast and subscribe and be a patron. Uh, got more and more content on there every week. So I hope you enjoy that. Uh, to catch up on past episodes, go to thebumppodcast.com, click the episode tab, and it'll take you to any episode you want to listen to. Also, if you want to be on the show, I would love to have you on. Share your story with us. Go to thebumppodcast.com. Click the holler at me button and holler at me. Send me an email, thebumppodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, I'll get you on as fast as we can. All right. Again, thanks for listening. I love you guys. Until next time, don't stop believing. If you're at a place in your life that you're You're ready to give your heart over to the Lord, then I have a little a little message that I found that if you repeat it and you believe it in your heart, this could help lead you closer to God, to to let Jesus Christ save you. And it goes like this: Heavenly Father, I come to you from the depths of my heart, realizing that I have sinned. I repent of my sins and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died on the cross for me and my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and live in me now. I receive by faith you as my personal Lord and Savior. I receive your Holy Spirit as my comforter to help me obey you and do your will. It is in Jesus' name that I believe and receive the things prayed this day. Amen.